Hello, my good friend. This is Dan Jones with a quiet talk to share with you today. Looks aren't everything, they say. Some people are born with good looks and some are not. It's on the list of those things you can't do anything about, or at least not much. In the Bible, there was a young lady who was very beautiful. It seems that her looks attracted the man who became her husband. But though she was very attractive, her life was full of challenges. I'm speaking of Rachel, who became the wife of Jacob. When we first meet Rachel, she is keeping the sheep for her father. Christians have sort of romanticized being a shepherd. David was a shepherd, of course. Jesus was the good shepherd in the spiritual sense. But in the ancient Near East, being a shepherd was about the lowest job you could have. While shepherds play a big part in the story of Jesus' birth, I think they have that part for the very reason that they were the lowest of the low socially. The fact that the angels announced the birth of Messiah to them was meant to highlight the fact that God's Son would lift up the lowly, preach good news to the poor, and so on. So while Rachel would make a good model for a romantic painting, a beautiful young girl leading a flock of fluffy sheep, She probably didn't see it that way. Now, we know that Rachel had an older sister. What was she doing while Rachel was out there in the pastures of Padan Aram? We don't know. But I'm guessing that whatever it was, Rachel would probably have liked trading places with her big sis. So one day, she's out there as usual, and she meets a stranger. This stranger turns out to be none other than Jacob, who is actually her cousin, When he sees her, he immediately falls in love with her. Marrying cousins was no big deal way back then. In what looks to me to be one of the most striking things in the Bible, considering their cultural mores, the moment Jacob meets Rachel, he kisses her. Apparently, she didn't slap him. Maybe it was okay to kiss your girl cousin. I don't know. But I feel sure Rachel thought it was a bit unusual. So, Jacob makes a deal with Rachel's father, Laban, for her hand in marriage. The deal is that Jacob will work for Laban for seven years. Now, how many young men out there would want to marry a girl for whom he had to do first do hard outdoor labor for that long? But here's the thing. The Bible says that those seven years seemed like just a few days to Jacob because of his great love for her. Whoever wrote the lyrics to the Elvis song, It's Now or Never, probably never heard of Jacob and Rachel. Anyway, the seven years are over and it's time for the wedding. This turned out to be one of the strangest wedding nights in history. I can only assume that Jacob didn't have a nightlight in his tent, but Laban, the father of Rachel, sneaks her older sister Leah in there and tricks Jacob. He doesn't realize what has happened until the sun comes up. He is not pleased, but he is now married. They didn't have annulments back then. Laban gives a lame excuse about their custom being always to marry the oldest daughter off first, but then says, you can have Rachel too. You just have to work seven more years. What a character. Well, Jacob doesn't have much choice at this point, so he agrees. The way I understand the text, he actually marries Rachel seven days after marrying Leah. 
A wedding lasted a whole week in the Bible days. But he did have to continue to work for Laban now that he had not one but two wives. I've often felt bad for Jacob, not having at least a candle on that apparently very dark night. But think about poor Rachel. She's looking forward to marrying this man who has such a profound love for her. And then her sister gets to slip in there ahead of her. I imagine Rachel had always had to take second place in everything, but this was just too much. Polygamy is one of those features of ancient culture that God tolerated for a long time. It was actually Christianity that ended the practice, at least in that particular culture. You may not know this, but nothing elevated the place of women in human society like the Christian faith. Jesus was the greatest liberator of women who ever lived. But back to Rachel. She's now in a situation that women probably took for granted then, but that I'm guessing none of the women listening to this talk would put up with. We're told that because Leah was not loved by her husband, God allowed her to conceive children. In those days, in that time, nothing was more important for a wife than to produce offspring. So Leah got compensated for not being really loved by Jacob by being able to have several children. I don't think many modern people will be able to imagine how hard this was on Rachel. She once was so frustrated that she said to her husband, Give me children or I will die. This made Jacob kind of mad and he replied, What am I, God? It isn't my fault. But they had a custom that if a woman couldn't get pregnant, she would give her handmaiden to her husband as a sort of surrogate mother. The children would be considered legitimate heirs. When Leah saw this, she followed suit, and now Jacob essentially had four wives. An even greater joy for Rachel and no doubt Leah as well. Now, how many of you ladies out there would want to be in her place? But finally, Rachel conceives and has a son whom they call Joseph. Later on, a second boy is born to her, but sadly with this one, she dies in childbirth. Before she died, she called this baby Ben-Oni, which means son of my sorrow. But Jacob changes it to Benjamin, son of my right hand. And that's the end of Rachel. I would say all in all, she had a tough go of it. But And this is another feature of Middle Eastern culture. She was blessed to leave behind quite notable offspring, especially Joseph. His story is for another talk, but we could just summarize by saying that Joseph saved the people of Israel from extinction. He is one of the greatest men of the Old Testament. His godly character is legendary. So what can we learn from this beautiful young shepherd girl called Rachel. Our culture today is consumed with the right now. We want to have it all now. The concept of deferred gratification is unknown to many. Many people plan for retirement, a time when they won't have to do anything but have fun and spend all the money they've saved up for themselves. I know very few today who have a deep concern for what will happen on this earth after they're dead. It's all about me and the here and now. But Jesus calls us to think about the future. 
As a matter of fact, we are called not just to think about our children or our grandchildren, but about forever, eternity. Jesus told a rich man to sell everything he had and give it to the poor, and he would have treasure in heaven. I don't see many ads on TV on how to have treasure in heaven. No, it's all about treasure on earth. But when you think about it, the treasure in heaven thing is really a better investment. In these days of inflation, no matter how much money you have, you are watching its value diminish. There's nothing you can do about it. But the Bible promises that if we adopt eternal rather than temporal values, our investment of our lives will last forever and its value will never diminish. If anything, it will grow eternally. I would urge you, good friend, not to evaluate the quality of your life in terms of what's happening at this very moment. Instead, commit your life to God and make those spiritual investments that pay dividends in the next world. Oh yes, one more little fact about Rachel and the baby she died bringing into this world, Benjamin. Benjamin had a descendant that came along centuries later. His name was Paul. Paul said, Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Heavenly Father, thank you for the example of these godly people like Rachel, like her son Joseph, like Benjamin. I pray, God, that you would help us to have eternal values, to look not just to tomorrow or what is going to happen when we retire, but to look to eternity, what will happen then. Help us to make those investments, to lay up treasure in heaven, Lord God, that will bring eternal dividends. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My good friend, some of us are trying to make investments, eternal investments we trust in the lives of people in the city of Schenectady in New York. We're planting a church there called Bread of Life Anglican Church, and we meet Sundays at 10 o'clock at the American Legion Hall, which is at 1809 Union Street. Please pray for us. If you're in the area, you don't have a church home, come visit with us. As always, you can reach me by email at father.danjones at outlook.com. May God bless you.